Well, last week, as we talked about uh, this series, if this is your first night, we're on an eight-week series called A Work in Progress, and how each and every one of us are, if we would be honest, we are a work in progress, that we take, we take one or two steps or sometimes three steps forward, but because you are normal, because you are a man, because you are just like everyone else, you're trying to figure things out, you will take one or two steps forward, and what happens? You'll take two or three steps back. You, you'll make a really good decision, you'll do something good, and then you'll, then you'll make a mistake. And the default position, just because you're, you're normal if you think this way, you will start to believe that you are the only person, the only person on the planet that is struggling in that specific area. You start to believe lies that people don't struggle like you do. They don't think thoughts like you do. They don't have, uh, they have everything together. And last week we talked about this idea of anger and how we deal with our anger, what we should do with our anger. Uh, afterwards, I started to realize, man, I think everyone's just angry all the time, just like me. I felt really good about myself and my anger. And, and tonight, uh, we're going to talk about this idea of commitment. And next week, we'll talk about how we are not strong and where power is perfected in weakness as men. But tonight, we are talking about commitment. And what I really hope um, all of us think through this idea tonight in, in our tables and in our, in our discussions there are commitments that you and I are responsible for. There are some things that maybe we have said yes to or some things that we have said no to, and it carries some type of weight. We've made a commitment to God at one time or another. We've made a commitment to our family or our spouse at one time or another. And help me out, you've made a commitment to yourself that you have failed at one time or another. Right after I accepted Christ when I was 18 years old, there were a few habits that I just could not kick. I just couldn't kick them. Didn't matter how many cans of chew I threw out my window, I could not kick the habit. That monkey was on my back. I had accepted Christ and I said, God, this is the last time I will do this. And I threw it out the window. Where would you find me in 48 hours? Speedway. Yep. And I didn't know why. What was I supposed to do? And even after I accepted Christ, I had made this statement. I will never, ever drink again. I won't do it. It will not happen. God, before you, before everyone else, I'm never going to do it ever again. Well, what happened to me on my senior trip? Little did I know I was a work in progress, and my commitments that I made toward God and toward everyone else, I had failed. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what it was like. The, it was uh, three months after I had followed Christ, and I had said, hey, I'm, I'm done with this idea of chewing tobacco, and I'm not going to talk about that all night, but it's just relevant for me. Or I'm done with this idea of smoking or whatever it was. And then there was a guy uh, that I was working with. His name was, was Dustin, and he had leaned over to me, and he's like, hey, man, pass me a dip. And I was like, yeah, no problem. And I handed it to him, and right in that moment, I realized I was trying to share Christ while in, in, this, in this thing with this guy, and I felt the Lord kind of speak to my heart hey, this, this has got to go. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Why could I not keep my commitments to God? And why, 
why could I not keep my commitments to myself? I didn't understand. I was trying to make decisions on the outside working in, not the inside working out. And so when we, why would we talk about commitment here tonight? What, what's, the, what's the goal? What's the point? I'm not going to guilt trip you about chewing tobacco if you're chewing uh, tonight. I'm not going to guilt trip you about coming to church. You're, you're, you're here. You're preaching the choir. You're here. You're at church, right? I, I get it. Uh, I'm not going to guilt trip you tonight about um, certain areas where you should all be jumping in and serving and doing different things. This is why I felt like tonight commitment could be so helpful and so practical. There are a large portion of us, I believe, that we are overcommitted in the wrong areas, and it is affecting the most valuable relationships we have. It's not even bad things. It's not sinful things. It's not terrible things. It's not like, I, I, you know, you're out, uh, for, for me, it's not like I'm out selling drugs on Friday nights. I, it's, not, it's not what's happening. But when I overcommit in the wrong areas, I'll neglect and I'll bypass the areas in which God has called me to be committed to, to be committed to. So it's going to be threefold tonight. It's going to talk about God, we're going to talk about people close to us, and we're going to talk about ourselves. And uh, I brought this idea up last week, and I want to bring it up again, but God remains committed to us despite our lack of commitment to him. I mean, I mean, I could not say this enough in the series, in, our, in him working in us, him doing a work in our lives. He is committed to you despite your lack of commitment to him. The last thing you want to hear tonight, or I even think the Bible teaches, is that God kind of washes his hands of you the first time you make a mistake, the first time you uh, said you would do something and failed at that for him to say, hey, you know what, I, I just, I can't, I can't do this. God does not say that. Rather, what does he say in Philippians 1.6? He, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That he will complete, he will do something inside of you. That whether you have let everyone down in your life, you've overcommitted, you've undercommitted, you're not committed in the right areas, you've said yes a thousand times, and, and it's ruined some relationships, no matter what it is. I think God looks at us and he says, hey, what I have started, what I have started in your life, what I have started in your heart and your mind, as you take a few steps back, as you start to say, man, I've, I've overcommitted again, I've told too many people yes. I, I've, I've told the boss I can take it on and I can't. I've told my wife I'll go on the vacation and I, and I don't want to go. I've told this, you, you fill in the blank and you overcommit and you're caring too much. God says, hey, there's a way, there's a way that he, he, and he talks about that this, I believe, is going to minister and to help us here tonight in God's word. And so the first point on your handout is this. Our commitments should mean something. Our commitments should mean something. Jesus says this, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. 
anything more than this comes from evil. So what, what I believe that Jesus is saying is that our commitments should mean something. And in a gist, what is he saying? Mean what you say and what? Say what you mean. That you shouldn't have to, I swear to, right? I, I swear I'm going to do this. I swear I'm going to do this. I swear I'm going to do that. And, and why does he list heaven and earth, footstool, Jerusalem? He's listing a city. He's saying, don't swear by any of these things because you have no authority over them. You can't turn uh, one hair, white or black. And you're like, how did my hair get white so fast? Right? Maybe your lack of commitments. I don't know. Or age. You, your, your commitments, he's saying you have no authority to hold on to these things. So let what you say simply be yes or no. In James chapter 5, it, it says this, <clears throat> uh, 12, he says, Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And what is the condemnation? What is the condemnation? It is eventually people will stop to take your yes to mean what it means. That after you tell your wife, yes, this is what I'm going to do. After she asks you the second time, the third time, will you get to it this weekend? I swear, this weekend. It's Sunday at 5. What happened? Next weekend. Eventually, what? Trust starts to break. What you said has, has no weight. I thought you said you weren't going to do that anymore. I thought you said that this was going to take place. He says, Jesus says, let what you say simply be, let that be true. And Andy, pull up this next slide for me or this idea, because I want to talk about this for a second. People won't remember what I did do, but they won't forget what I didn't do. Have you ever felt like you went to a thousand baseball games for your grandson or your son or your daughter, softball games, and the one that you missed, hey, where were you? They didn't thank you for the thousand things that you showed up to. They didn't, they didn't see the, the hundred things you did behind the scenes. They didn't see all the areas that you were serving in. But the one time you missed it, the one time you missed it, they would say, hey, what happened? I thought you were supposed to be there for me. When it says so that you don't fall under condemnation, I believe it's saying, hey, when you say you're going to do something, fo follow through. My, my yes and my no should mean something for me and for the person. And, and what happens, what happens when I go to God and I say, God, I, I'm in it this time. I'm actually going to make some changes. I'm going to make a, a work in progress. I'm going to stop doing so, this thing. I'm going to start doing this thing. What does God do? What does God do when you find yourself caught just right in the middle? You find yourself caught. You said, I said I was going to do this. I, I told him I would stop doing this. I started doing this. And a lot of you just believe, you believe that God is waiting for you to actually prove yourself. Like, hey, this is God's thinking, hey, hey, this has happened before. You've made some promises. You've made some promises. And, and you failed on it the last time. You said you would quit watching this. You said you would start doing this. And eventually you're like, well, I'm just not going to make any more commitments because God already knows my heart. I'm going to talk about this idea in a, in a little bit, but I think God, God understands. He understands, and he wants you to take one step forward. And I, and I think that spiritually, the devil likes you to believe, well, I, I, I'm just not going to make any more commitments because I have failed before. 
I failed. You, you feel like a failure. Your, your kids will, will bring it up, and, and they don't mean any harm by it, but it, it just comes up. Your grandkids will bring it up. Uh, you come to a certain church event, or someone makes you feel uh, guilty for something, and you'll say, see, I, 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 knew, I knew they were like that. I knew they would bring up that I don't come on Sunday morning. I didn't make it to the, the study. I, didn't, I, I knew they would do that. Instead of saying, hey, I've made one step forward. I've made one step. I'm focused on the decision today and making this progress. Not that I am perfect, Paul says. Not that I've obtained any perfection, but I press on. I press on. I forget what's behind. In the commitments, not that I have failed for the past three days or three weeks or three months, but the commitment that I have made today, I'm going to focus on God. Would you help me to make it the next 24 hours? Would you help me to make it in the present? Because that's, that's about all we got, isn't it? That's about all I, I got to offer. I can't promise the next five years or 10 years or 20. I can promise, God, I will honor you today. I will honor you today. Number two um, in your handout <clears throat> is please everyone and you'll please no one. Proverbs 17, 9 says this. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So this proverb uh, is talking about, just like it's saying, after someone says to you, uh, as one man told me about his, his marriage a couple days ago, he said, I, I'm fine hearing I'm sorry for a portion of the time, but eventually what? You want to see some lasting change. You want to see, hey, does the I'm sorry or I'm working through actually, actually mean something? So when he is saying, when I'm saying please everyone and you'll please no one, you already know this idea. Some of us, you're just overcommitted in the wrong areas. You're just overcommitted in areas that really you, you, end up, you end up not, you're not able to please the people that God wants us to please the most. And it's in Galatians uh, 1.10, he says this, for am I now seeking the approval of God or, or of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So we got to say this question or ask this question, is my life in the correct order? Or, or is my life in the correct order? Who, is, who are the people who get my first and most important yes? And all of us already know the answer to this, right? You're like, okay, God, God is number one, right? You're okay, if, if, you're, if you're married, you'll say, okay, my spouse or my family, right? And then you'll, you'll say my work or this, you'll start to fill in the blanks. But what, what starts to happen? What starts to happen? Um, to, to illustrate this, some of you want to know if I was having a, a sporting event tonight, but I'm not. Uh, Zeddy, will you help me out up here real quick? Just come up here. Let me help, or you can help me out. Just to illustrate what happens um, in our life. I asked Zeddy because Zeddy's like a really good basketball player. So come over, stand right here. Yeah, no, you're not going to have to shoot. I want you to stand right here. So what happens is, um, let's say uh, Zeddy is married. Zeddy is not married yet. He uh, is pursuing someone. I don't know if that's the case. But anyway, let's say he's married um, and his wife says, hey, will you, will you do something for me? I need you to hold on to this. And he says, yes, this is what I would like, I would like to do. Well, then I come along and I say, hey, Zeddy, on your way home or after work, would you stop by my house? Just hang on to this. And I need you to, to help me 
dig a ditch. I got some stuff going on in my backyard. I, I had Rick Young help me dig it. I need, I need somebody to help me dig this ditch uh, in my backyard. Would you help me? He says, yes, absolutely. And then what happens? What happens? He has another friend, and he says, Zeddy, hold on to this. Would you, would you help me uh, help me in my backyard? Would you help do this for me? Would you uh, serve me in this way? Would you help me? And because Zeddy is a nice guy, he's trying to honor God, what's he do? He says, yes, absolutely. But then uh, his wife comes along again, and what does she say? Hey, would you do this for me, and would you swing by so-and-so and pick this up, and you say, you say yes. And then what starts to happen? The church gets involved. And you know the church, they'll just add things on your list, right? And what do we say? Hey, Zeddy, would you hang on to this? Would you come to this? Would you sign up for this? And we say, hey, and then someone else says, hey, I, I really need your help. I really need your help. My car, something took place. Some of you, it's a work friend. Someone said, hey, would you, would you hold this for me? And he says, yes, I, I want to I do something right and good for God. And then on the way back from digging the ditch, I said, hey, man, I, I don't even know which way to hold this thing. Uh, would, you, would you help me? Zeddy, hang on to this. Seriously, yeah, put that right there. And so he says, yeah, I, I would love to. And, he, and everything he's doing is a good thing, right? He's saying yes. He's serving people. And then we said, hey, hang on to this. Well, and then he dropped. He couldn't hold on. But then what do we say? Hey, I want you to, I want you to lead some Bible studies, these are good things. I want you to hang on to this, Zeddy. I want you to start doing growing in Christ. I want you to hold all of these things. All of these are good things. But what is he trying to do? He's trying to please everybody. And then what starts to happen? As I could take other objects or these balls, I could say, hey, hang on, hang on to this. Hey, I want you to hang on to this. And what's he doing? He's dropping the ball. He's dropping the ball. And once the people closest to him start to pass him the ball and he continues to drop it, what will happen? They'll just quit asking. They'll quit trusting that he is there for them because he has said yes to a thousand different things. He can't, he can't hold all his yeses. He's trying to please everybody. And what happens? He start to, starts to please nobody. And he, I mean, I could leave him up here for a while. I think Zeddy's in shape. I think he's a strong guy. But what starts to happen after a while? He's tired. He said yes to so many things. He's, I mean, his arms are getting tired. The wrench is going to fall. The, the shovel is going gonna, is gonna to fall. He's going to have to eventually just let go to everything. He can't, he can't hold everything. You can set all these things down, Zeddy. Thank you. Give it up for Zeddy for helping me tonight. Some of you were, were curious of of. If we were having a, uh, if we're having a sporting uh, banquet or whatever, but I, I have that illustration because some of you, we have you have all these things coming your way. Your wife has wife has asked you to do something. It's a good thing. You said yes. I'll hang on to this. The neighbor said, "Hey, would you look out for this area?" Yes, this is a good thing. Jesus said, "Love your neighbor." Hey, the church asked you to do this. You said yes. I would absolutely love to do that. And you have overcommitted, maybe in the wrong areas. And slowly but surely, you end up in a spot where maybe your, your son or your daughter, your grandchild finally says, I don't even ask him anymore. I already know. He, he, he's doing too much. I can't ask him. There's no, 
There's no margin in his life for him to say yes or for us to say yes to the most important people. And maybe you've gotten a spot where your spouse or someone close to you, they don't even feel like they can ask you anymore or pass you the ball because you can't, you're holding so many things. We're overcommitted maybe in the, the wrong areas and we can't truly commit to the most important ones. We can't truly commit to the most important things that God has called me to. Or the, the best yes, as one pastor said. The most important yes. It's in Proverbs 16, 3. It says this, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Your plans. Um, is, or the plans you have, are, is God able to adjust them? Is he, is he able to adjust our plans? Have I ran my plans or my agenda or my schedule past God? Hey, God, before I say yes to this, before I say no to this, is, do, you, do you have anything you want to say about this, God? There is something that I have to do next weekend I am absolutely dreading. I mean, just absolutely dreading. It's going to cost me more than I wanted to pay, literally dollars. Uh, it's somewhere I don't necessarily want to go. Uh, someone had asked me to do something. I told them yes, didn't really consider it. And I told my wife last night, I said, hey, I have to do this next week. And I'm at, I mean, I'm, I, I've overcommitted. I've already, I'm already locked in. I'm already on the schedule. I'm already supposed to be there. And, I, and, I ha- and, and who's the one that's going to suffer for me saying that? It's those closest to me. I mean, as someone who, I mean, if, as someone talking to you tonight who's probably more, uh, I'm overcommitted, I would say. That's probably a thing. There's some things I should or could say no to. I have to go back and say, God, am I just saying yes to everyone to please everyone? And so in the end, I truly please no one. Who are the people in my life that are suffering? Because I'll, I'll end up saying yes in the wrong areas. And number three in your handout when we fail in our commitment to God. And the reason I said, I, I'm saying when, is because I think uh, it doesn't, doesn't matter from, from this side of the room to this side, front to back, if we said, tell us a time when you went back on your commitment with God. I think we would have stories on stories on stories where you would say, hey, I made a promise to God one time, and I didn't come through. Luckily, luckily, number one, you are not alone, and the Bible is filled with stories like this. Uh, It says this in Luke 22, Simon, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith may not fail. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, if Jesus said that to me, hey, Satan is after you. He He wants to get you. I would think that I would be like, uh, so what do you want me to do? You prayed for me, would you pray? I'm nervous about that. But Peter, he says, Lord, I am ready to go to both to prison and to death. And he says, I mean, if there's anyone who's committed, it's Peter. If there's anyone who's committed to God who says, um, I've, I've prayed for you, Satan's coming after you. And, and Peter says, hey, you don't have to worry about me. I'm locked in. I am following you, God. And what does Jesus say? I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me or deny three times that you know me. 
that there is a time when you fail God in your commitment. You've told him you would stop doing this. You told him you would start doing this. And then you catch yourself even before the next day. Just like I shared when I started, I told God I I would do something. I told God I would stop doing this. And then I find myself in a position just like Peter. And I I imagine a lot like some of you where you're in a position where you would say, man, now what am I supposed to do? I told God I would do this. Now, if if you want to talk about not feeling like a man, it's that. Not feeling like, I mean, just it's, it's that, right? It's when, it's not if, it's not if you have failed God in your commitments. I believe it is when and what happened when it did. In the story, it goes on in Luke 22. It says, a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man was with him, referring to Peter, but he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after, after an interval of about an hour, still another insisting, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at him. And Peter remembered that saying, the, that saying of the Lord, how he had said with him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went away and he wept bitterly. So this guy, Peter, does what maybe you have felt like you've done at one time or another. It was your lack of doing something or your lack of saying something, wasn't it? It was when you said, hey, God, I'll stand up for you. Maybe you were uh, in, a, in a church service or you're in something like this. You stood up, you raised your hand, you walked the aisle or whatever you did, and you said, I'm in it for real this time, God. I'm, not, I'm, I'm totally in this. I want to be a man of God. I want to serve you. I want to be a godly husband. I want to be a godly dad. I want to serve in this way. I want to break a chain in my family. I want to make some commitments, God. And then 24 hours later, the devil is just on your back reminding you of all the ways that you have failed. And you find yourself stuck. You find yourself thinking, man, if I was God, I wouldn't take myself back. If I was God, I'm more strict on other people than how God has been to me. And you feel in the sense like, number one, you, you, like we said, you are alone. You feel like, man, no one else has made mistakes like I've made. No one else has done things that I have done. No one else has put themselves in this position. And there's maybe things that you just can't undo. You just can't undo them. It's happened. Peter, if Peter was there, I mean, think about the first denial. You would think he'd be like, oh, oh. But because he's like, he's like us, we have short-term memory loss, right? You're like, I didn't say that. Your wife's like, you said it an hour ago. You're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. She's like, no, you, you said it. And so then, then what, he, he does it again. He forgets. You would think the second time he's like, oh, that's what Jesus was talking about the third time. Don't do it the third time. I don't know. And then the rooster crows and he looks at him. Imagine the, the eye contact. Imagine the eye contact. The feeling of maybe some guilt, some shame, some remorse. And you would think, man, if God was going to do away with anyone or say, hey, I just can't use him anymore, you would think it would be Peter. 
or you would think it would be you. Just can't use him anymore. He's made so many promises or covenants or things to me or, you know, in the car or or by himself on the way home from the men's. I'll never do this again, God. You would think it would be you because just like everyone else, you've went back on those promises. Well, what is the amazing thing about God? I mean, just amazing thing about him. In your handout number four, God never breaks his promise to us. He never breaks his promise to us. In Philippians 1.6, I'm bringing it up again because this is the verse we got to get in our gut. That I am sure of this. I am confident of this. I am convinced of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God is a promise-keeping God. He has never broken a promise. Not one time in his life. He has never went back on a promise he has made to you. Whether specifically whether towards your family, whether towards your situation, when God makes a promise, he comes through every single time. Every single time. It says in Ephesians 1 that when we believe in the gospel and that the Holy Spirit or God is sealed in our hearts, what that means is, doesn't matter what you will do, what you have done, when you accept Christ, he does not change his mind about you. He doesn't regret you. He doesn't think you should have had your act together more. He says, hey, regardless of what you do and what this looks like, I am staying here. He's keeping his promise towards you. And it's in Hebrews and in Titus two times when it says, which God who never lies or which is it is impossible for God to lie. So when he says, I am with you in the storms, is he with you? When he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, can he leave you? No. When he says, he who began a good work, when God started something in in your life, when you think, man, that was 20 years ago, 20 years ago, I haven't done anything since, he says, I will bring it to completion, that God is a promise-keeping God, that the goal with Christ in our life is that he is molding, he is chipping away, And he is conforming us more into his image. I, I want and need to get better at my commitments, my promises, my promises to God, my promises to my spouse or or my family or my promises to myself. I want to say, regardless if I've made this mistake 13 times, today I'm going to take it one day at a time. At your table, I'm going to give you guys 15 uh, to 20 minutes. I'm going to give you a two-minute warning. There's three questions. Please uh, uh, take take your time in it and turn into your tables. Well, hopefully you had um, some good discussions at your tables. Uh, I want to finish out tonight with two different verses or portions of Scripture. Uh, The first one is in John 21. And before I read that... um, some of you have heard this story. I was thinking about sharing it. I wasn't going to because I'm like, ah, everyone's heard this story before. It's not original. But um, <clears throat> there was a church that was uh, seeking to be welcoming to, to people in the community, people who were hurting, who were broken, broken, and they were really seeking out and wanting people just like you, just like me to be, hey, this is a place we can come and we can be a part of and worship. And the pastor was really emphasizing that with his team and you know we want people to meet God here and this type of thing and uh, one Sunday there was a girl who had showed up dressed really inappropriate for church 
not wearing what she should have been wearing to church. And the pastor met her in the back and said, hey, what? What are, you, what are you doing here? Uh, you, you should go home, and you, and you need to change and, and get on some appropriate clothes for church. She said, okay. So she went home, and she, you know, she said, I, I, I went home. I came back. She said, he said, the second week, she showed up again wearing the exact same thing. He said, hey, what did I tell you to do? I told you to go home and change. He said, this time, I want you to go home, and I want you to ask God, God, what do you want me to wear to church? She said, okay, I'm supposed to ask God. So she goes home, she asks God, she comes back, and she's wearing the exact same thing. The third week, he meets her in the back, and he says, hey, I thought I told you to ask God. She said, I did. She, he said, well, what did he tell you? She said, God told me he's never been here, so he wouldn't know what you're supposed to wear here. He's not welcome here. And so uh, this the idea of this is a place where we want you to feel regardless of what you look like, regardless of where your life is at, you feel like, man, I, I can be a work in progress here. These are guys that as we sit around and we share quick stories and maybe illustrations of life stories and how you're experiencing God's promises in your life, you would say, man, I feel like this is a place and these are some guys that I can be not perfect, I'm not trying to be perfect, I'm not trying to have everything together, but I can be growing and progressing together. In John 21, it says this, and this is when Jesus has, has a conversation with Peter uh, right after Peter, we read earlier, had denied Jesus. It says, says this in John 21, 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I believe he's referring to the fish. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend to my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. And he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And it says in verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But now when you are old, you will, sh you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Three times he asks him again, Simon, do you love me? Do you love me with a love that is committed is the word that's being used. A love without any abandonment. God, do, do you love me, Peter? He says, you know, you know that I, he says, phileo, love you like a love, like a brotherly love. He says, do you Agape, do you love me with a abandonment kind of love? And he says, Lord, you know that I flat owe you. I love you like a brother. And the third time, he says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with a true abandonment kind of love? And he's, you can just feel it in the text. He probably takes a minute. He takes a breath. Lord, you, you know, you know I agape you. You know I do, despite us not keeping our promises to God. He always keeps his promise to us and still gives us an opportunity, an opportunity. Despite our lack of commitments, our lack of keeping promises, doesn't matter if it's your first time thinking about this or you've been thinking about this for a while, you're, you're 25 years old, you're 45 years old, you're 65 years old, you have to decide and say, hey, starting today, starting today, these are the commitments I'm going to follow up with. It says in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, 
not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, making Christ Jesus my own. He says, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I press forward to what lies ahead. That I'll forget what lies behind. I'm going to forget my mistakes. I'm going to forget some bad decisions I've made. I'm going to forget my lack of commitments. And I'm going to say, hey, starting today, starting today, these are the things that I'm going to do in my life. Uh, there was a, a pastor who, who was teaching on this idea a while back. And he had given his daily commitments his daily commitments or affirmations or verses that he would say, these are, I, got, I, I printed them out, there's 32 of them, I'm not going to read all 32, but every single day he said he would wake up and he would say, these are the things that are going to hold priority in my life. I'm going to say them every day. So I started this new year and I started in February and I've been saying them every single morning. I got this paper, I printed it out, I laminated it, I put it right on my desk, right when I wake up, before I journal, before I jump into God's word, I, I say this, Jesus is first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify him. I love my wife and I will lay down my life to serve her. I will nurture, equip, and, entra- and train my daughter to do more for God's kingdom than she can imagine. I love people and I believe the best about others. I am disciplined. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. Pain is my friend. I rejoice in suffering because Christ suffered for me. I bring my best and then some. It's what I do after I bring my best that makes the difference. I'm going to skip down to a few of these here. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Nothing can separate me from God's love, not death, not demons, nor the past, nor the present. No power on earth will ever separate me from God's love in Christ Jesus. I am not what I have or by. My identity is in Christ and Christ alone. By God's power, I can change. I cast my cares on God because he cares for me. My life belongs to God. Daily I seek him, daily he directs my steps. I know his voice and he leads me to his perfect will. Last one. My confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. Because his spirit lives within me, I can do everything he calls me to do. So often I need reminded of what my commitments are. I need reminded. If I don't remind myself with God's word and with what he's put before me, my life will end up just like we had carrying all these different things and I don't even know who I'm supposed to respond to anymore. I don't even know who I'm supposed to look to anymore. So I have to reorient my mind and my heart. Would you guys stand as I pray for you tonight on the way out? God, I am thankful that you are a promise-keeping God. God, even the, the gospel itself is your promise to us. That you fulfill every single promise or prophecy you have ever made. God, I know a lot of times even my anxiety is a lack of believing your promises to me or to us. God, I pray that you would help every single one of us have the correct priorities in our lives. God, that we would go to your word for where our priorities should be, not to the world. We should not compare ourselves to see where our priorities are be or what other people are doing or other expectations or other needs, but God, the things in front of us and where you call us to be. 
and all the pressures we feel and all the maybe mistakes that have been made or lack of commitments where we didn't let our yes be yes, we didn't let our no be no, and we feel that there's trust that has been broken. God, I pray that you would give us and all of us in this room who need to have conversations, you would give us courage to go back and to say, from now on, my yes will mean yes, and my no will mean no. And God, in our relationship with you, which is first and foremost, that you should be first in our life and we exist to serve and glorify you. I pray that you would help us, help us to follow through on the promises we make to you. God, that this would not be a series of a work in progress that we just, we just think differently. We just know a few more verses. We just, maybe we say a few more things, but God, we would truly be better husbands, better fathers, better grandfathers, better leaders, better neighbors, better workers, God that we would grow, Lord, that we would change and be more and more like Jesus. God, I thank you for the men in this room. I pray that we would constantly look to you to find out what a real man needs to be like, because that's the only way we know. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.